There's been another dramatic week in the lower leagues in Scotland. We'll discuss the ramifications for clubs after the SPFL pushed their proposals through and the Lowland League brought their season to an end as well. One man who's been affected is this week's guest, Vale of Leiden player coach Gerard Rossi. His side was sitting bottom of the Lowland League when things were called to a halt. But unlike Partick Thistle and Stranra, they won't face relegation back to the East of Scotland League. We'll hear Gerard's views on that. After a playing career which started out at Hibs, we'll get his thoughts on the step into the dugout. Plus, we'll find out what it was like to be the first Scot to play in Slovakia and how he's getting on with the bucket challenge. It's all here on Down the Divisions. Last week we heard from Adrianians Director of Football, Stuart Miller. And what a great reaction we've had from that show with over 300 downloads, Paul. Unbelievable. Can't believe how, how far we've reached in two weeks. <laughs> uh, if you've got any comments or suggestions, you can email us at downthedivisions at gmail.com or contact us through Facebook or Twitter. We've already had some really good feedback, but before we uh, we get speaking to Gerard, Paul, uh, that revelation about you liking Sporty Spice last week, I mean, how has that been received? Can't believe it, honestly. The amount of people that's been in touch over <laughs> one statement that I've made, and I've had people sending me photos of Mel C. Honestly, can't believe how many people have actually done it. Even in the players' group chat, one of the players, Ryan Cherry, sent me a photograph of Mel C. Were they, uh, were they uh, agreeing with your... Uh... Your opinion? Probably not. No one really actually commented, but uh, it's actually good. We've actually got the real Jerry Spice with us tonight. Jerry, Paolo Rossi, how you doing, Jerry? I'm good. How, how's yourselves? All good. Good, thanks. Thanks for joining us, Jared. We always ask how our guests have been dealing with self-isolation. How's it been for you? It's obviously been quite difficult. Had to kind of spend a lot of time with the missus and found out she actually likes football as well so it's, it's actually been decent it's not been too bad but no I think all joking aside it's, it has been quite tough for for everyone I think obviously sport and football kind of take a wee back seat when it's such a, a wedge spread um, sort of issue is, is kind of what we're experiencing so I think the most important thing um, in life is our, is our health so we've just all got to be kind of patient when it comes to getting back on the ball and, and getting kind of back to, to doing what we love. I was actually going to ask Jerry just just before we started there, uh, how's your dad? I know he's he's not been keeping that good old Papa Rossi. How's he doing? He's doing okay. Um, he's he's back home, so we managed to get him back home. It's uh, again obviously with the the virus kind of doing the rounds. It was quite quite a worrying uh, period of time, but we managed to get him home, and he's he's kind of back in his feet, and uh, he's looking a lot slimmer than me. But I don't think I would recommend the old diet he's been on. So uh, nah, he's he's doing okay. He's doing okay. He's a great man. He's done a lot for grassroots football down in the Peebles area and a, a good model fan to go with it. So pass on our regards to, to your dad. Well, before we hear more from Gerard, we'll start as usual with the, this week's Down the Divisions decider. And, and this week, Paul, we're, we're turning the tables and you've come up with the clues. Well, I've come up with the clues for the, 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 the people who don't know. Garrison Oxford graduate. So uh, I think he feels he's, he's missing out on the... Uh, on the quiz here so this week's down the deciders is going to be four clues and what I've done is because I know Jared's a young guy I've kept it kind of modern for him so the first clue is Harry Potter's Chamber of Secrets come out in the cinema when Lithgow win Jerry put the phone down uh, <laughs> when Lithgow won the Scottish Junior Cup Pink had a hit with Don't Let Me Get Me and Gareth you maybe get it from this the Winter Olympics was held in Salt Lake City. We'll wait till the end. We'll we'll come back onto that and we'll and we'll get the answer. Any any guesses before we go on? I can't believe you put me up against an Oxford graduate. Jerry, <laughs> <laughs> you obviously weren't looking for an intellect when uh, when you called me up for this one. I've asked you questions on the singer Pink. Come on, man. I'm struggling already. Struggling. Do you want me to read them again? Harry Potter, Chamber of Secrets, come out in the cinema. When Lithgow won the Junior Scottish Cup, Pink had a hit with Don't Let Me Get Me, and the Winter Olympics is held in Salt Lake City. 2006. Oh. I'm thinking a wee bit later. I'm thinking about 2012. Right, well, we'll come back later on in the show. 
as we say, Jerry Rossi is our guest this week. He's player coach at Vale of Leiden. They were bottom of the Lowland League with eight points when the season was ended this week, but they won't be going down. Do you feel you've had a bit of a lucky escape, Jerry? I think a lot of people kind of outside will say he's have got let off the hook a little bit. I think, though, if you asked sort of players, the staff, the manager, I think, you know, we wanted to kind of stay in the division on merit. And I think we, we felt that we, we we still had a lot to, to kind of go through and we, we still had sort of teams round about us that we still had to play. So... We still felt that we could we could stay in the division, um, as I said, on merit. But I've said before that you know the Vale have kind of stayed in that division um, in the last few seasons, and it has been by the skin of their teeth. So can appreciate people will be thinking they've, they've kind of been dealt a, a decent hand um, with that. But you know I think on the other side, if you if you flip the coin and you look at the the top end of the division, you know I think if you asked Kelty and you know Barry Ferguson up there that you know they wouldn't have wanted to win the, the division in that respect um, in the same in the same sort of manner either. So it has been difficult, it has been frustrating, but we're still in the league, so we're kind of happy to to take that. You touched the Kelty Hearts there. Obviously they got crowned champions last week uh, and ultimately been denied promotion. What's your thoughts on that? Do you think that's been a bit, a bit harsh on them? I do. I think it's it's obviously a difficult one. Again, you know, I don't envy the guys at the in the sort of association that make these decisions. Um, I certainly don't envy their job. But um, you know, I think Kelty have you know they've spent a lot of money this year to try and get to that sort of football uh, league position, and you know, it's it's just a, a sort of tragic you know sort of events that have led up to probably them, them not being allowed to do it. So, you know, I also look at Bonnie Rigg underneath them. They still had a lot to play for as well. And, you know, uh, Robbie Horn there's done a fantastic job. So, you know, those guys will be quite aggrieved as well that they, they couldn't fin- uh, finish their season. So it's just a difficult one all round. I think, you know, a lot of people are going to be kind of disappointed with the way it's it's kind of been voted on. And obviously there'll be a lot of people that are, you know, on the other side that are a wee bit more happy. But um, it's certainly a difficult difficult job to, to try and get right on, on this uh, sort of occasion. It's great to see somebody else's point of view because over the last couple of weeks we've been you know talking about this and actually Breakin put a statement out this week uh, and they've come out and said you know that Breakin are not relegated. Breakin still had like you say a bit to play for. They still feel that they would have survived anyway and actually when I, I actually read this, the, the statement I actually kind of felt a bit sorry for them because a lot of people are pointing the fingers. Do you kind of feel that way, Jerry? Uh, where you are, that a lot of people are kind of saying to you, oh, well, you, you said yourself, you've held on by the skin of your teeth that uh, really should be going down. I can understand the point of view. You know, I think it's it's always a little bit more difficult, I think, when you're involved in it. You know, as, as I said, the other side of the coin, you know, you're talking about championships as well and, you know, still to be decided what what's kind of going to happen higher up the up the ladder so you know certainly in our position um i can understand why people say that they'll maybe say that we don't deserve to be in that division but you know realistically we never made the decision so we just kind of have to adhere to kind of what what's been said and and obviously the rules that are you know everyone else has got to follow so we can thank you know can find ourselves a little bit lucky in that position but you know we would argue we still had plenty to play for and you know we felt that we we could still manage to stay up by ourselves in our, our own accord um if the you know if the league was was able to, to kind of be played out do you think as well your people i suppose automatically look at the fact that you were three points behind Derby star but you know you played the same number of games but you were four behind edinburgh uni and they played two more games than you yeah, so we still had games in hand, which again was the argument that we kind of had that, you know, we still, as I said, we still had a lot of football to play and it was that business end of the season. So, you know, it's kind of when, when teams drop and, and pick up points and um, we certainly had a lot of um, games round about us to, you know, teams round about us to, to sort of play. So um, we felt that, you know, we had enough in the tank to, to kind of go on and, and get ourselves out of the mess that we found ourselves in. You know, that that's our argument. That's our point. But I do understand, like you say, that people might say we've got away with it. But again, we can't really dictate that. We can't really do anything about that. You were obviously manager uh, at People's Rovers uh, a few seasons ago. And then you've obviously stepped up to, to the Vale now. How have you found the difference? Uh, we've got a lot of players that listen to this. The standard between the actual East of Scotland going into the, the Lowland League. Is there a, is a much of a difference in terms of uh, even the facilities that you play at or the players that you come up against? 
I think the, the sort of last few years, the, the loan league um, has certainly kind of caught up with the, the football league. I think um, some of the players that have dropped down, I think you see it again with Kelty and even Bonnie Rigg and, and teams round about that, you know, they're, they're, they're managing to attract players from second division, first division football in Scotland. So, um, when you're you're playing against these guys week in week out, you know it's certainly a massive a massive um, difference from from jumping up from east of Scotland. Um, also, you know the the clubs are you know they've all got to have their grounds um, sort of well looked after, maintained, and floodlights, all these kind of wee things that that um, obviously add to to the sort of scenery around it. So. Um, there is a wee jump. I think they're, they're certainly a lot fitter than I was used to. I think that's fair to say. So, um, no, it's, it's definitely a, a decent wee jump, and it's it's a great great level to play at. And as I say, it's some some good good games to to be involved in, and some good players to play against. You're eight points when the league is finished. How, how tough a season has it been, though? You know, when you when you take away all the the politics and everything that's going on now, how how tough a season have you found it? I think the, the kind of points total tells its own story. I think we, we had to ask a lot of young boys to kind of jump up from sort of 20s football because our budget wasn't you know anywhere near the same as, as sort of mid-table to, to top end. And, you know, I think we, we lacked a lot of experience this year. That's one thing I would say. It's, it's not just having a go at young boys, not being able to step up, I think. Um, and the experience front, I think there was a lot, a lot of um, difficult games and, you know, experience sometimes helps when you're in those difficult moments of the game. So... Um, you know, we certainly lacked in that this year and, you know, it has been a bit of a, a struggle at times. So, you know, the league never lies. They always say that the league doesn't lie. So, you know, it's uh, it has been a tough, a tough challenge. But, you know, we still felt, as I said, that we, we had enough in the tank to try and try and find a way out of that. But it certainly has been a it certainly has been a tough old season. Is there a bit of a mentality shift for you being on the management staff? To an extent, um, I always enjoyed kind of being in the changing room and, and having a laugh and a joke. And obviously, when I was I was uh, managing down the road at Peebles, it was it was quite difficult for me to kind of step over that line of being a mate and being a friend, and also then trying to get a bit you know more authority. And I kind of kind of tried my best to manage with a bit of passion, and, and then hopefully the boys would follow. And you know, stepping back into a changing room and, and having your teammates around you again, that, that's more my scene where I can I can kind of speak to them on a level and um, obviously um, try and help on the park as well as much as possible. So I think for me it was um, it was more sort of relief getting back to just playing and, and not having to worry about putting on too many sessions and concentrating on the, the sort of other side of the game that I think Paul will he'll certainly be able to tell you a wee bit more about as well with the the amount of grey hairs it brings along and, and all the, the sort of nonsense that goes around it. I think some people don't realise at this level it's it's almost a full-time job. So, as I say, I think Paul will, will be able to appreciate a bit of that, that side of things. I think that's the one thing people don't know is the actual work off the part that you do. He's all right going, you're training twice a week and putting your sessions on, which can be difficult in themselves and then building up for that match on a Saturday. But it's all the other stuff, even, even today, the stuff I've been doing to, to try and get the best team on the park when we do resume, it, it's unbelievable. And I don't think people, when they take these jobs, on actually realise kind of what's involved. To tell us a bit more about the Vale then, Jerry. Tell us what, give us some, some sort of background about the club in terms of the standards off the pitch, standards on the pitch, the boys. So it's obviously a, a club in the borders, the Scottish borders, and it's, again, in terms of budgets and stuff, it's, it's quite a... It's you know it's got very um, sort of humble surroundings, so got a nice wee ground and stuff. But you know they've always kind of just um, managed to get by in, in that sort of in that sort of division, that sort of level. You know it's ran as professional as possible. You know sort of on and off part. The guys work you know tremendously hard. Again, it's a small pocket of people that live within the town, so there's not a lot in the way of sponsorship and support. But you know, they always we always value what we do get when it comes to the players. That you know, they're all young, talented lads, and quite a lot of them, as I said, stepped up from from sort of twenties football. And you know, I think the one thing that they've maybe found this year it's um, you know you can't play nice sort of passing football at times against you know proper proper players that they've they've come up against. So. Um, you know, there's been mistakes being made at times on the park, but um, certainly off it, you know, we, we do our best. We, we do all the, the sort of the normal things that every club does in, in the way of sponsorship and, and fundraising and, you know, all these kind of things that keep us keep us surviving. But, you know, as I said, we're very humble. We're, we're sort of always kind of punching above our weight in that division. But, 
and I always say is as long as we're in that division, we'll, we'll certainly give it our best shot. And yeah, it's it's uh, it's a sort of togetherness. It's a sort of family club, and um, we all try and pull in the in the same direction. So while the the Lowland League has finished its season, uh, we'll just have a quick look at other divisions around the country and how they're sorting themselves out in the East Juniors Division. Uh, They've already made the call to make their leagues null and void under their Rule 79. Carnoustie Palmio are eight points clear at the top of the East Region Super League North, but they won't now be celebrating title success. The West Junior section is making a call this evening on whether to award titles. Kilwilling have an 11-point advantage in the Premier Division, but Auchinleck have nine games in hand. The North Juniors will decide what they're going to do at the end of the month. Elsewhere, we've seen clubs looking at innovative ways to try and raise revenue. Last season, East Club Ride Thistle charged £65 for a season ticket, but until April the 30th, you can buy one for next season in the West of Scotland League for just £30. In the East of Scotland League, Craig Royston have confirmed they will remain in existence for next season after all. They are sitting bottom of First Division Conference A with just three points and had announced in November they would be folding at the end of the season. But they will now continue with a new management team, committee and players. And back in the West, Cumbernauld United have appointed Kieran McInespy as their new manager after the surprise departure of Andy Frame. McInespy was previously assistant manager at the club after a previous spell as boss of Clydebank. So back to our guest, Jerry Rossi. Jerry, you came through the ranks as a player at Hibs, is that right? And what, what was all that like? Yeah, many moons ago. Now it was again, it was a great education in the game. It was sort of at the time where the golden age were coming through. The, like, the likes of Scott Brown and Kevin Thompson, Stephen Fletcher, guys like that. You could go through the whole team. They've, they've all kind of went on and done fantastically well in the game. So under sort of Tony Mowbray and, and Mark Venus it was it was really good times at the club you know the fans got behind them and they played some great attacking football and it was a joy to be part of in terms of coming through and watching these guys every day you know even just getting to train with them and and watching them and and sort of trying to emulate what sort of the guy in your position done it was it was a brilliant time to to sort of be uh, within the game could it have a big impact on the way you you played and your own approach to football, because that, as you say, that team was was remembered for just the, the way it played, wasn't it? Yeah, I I think so. I think um, when I was younger, it was it was kind of because of kind of where I'm from. It was Hearts and Hibs that were kind of turning from between where I was going to go, and Hibs were always the kind of team that tried to play football. And me being about three foot two and a half, it was, <laughs> it was a little bit easier to to kind of get you know get the ball down and, and play at Hibs. So. Um, it certainly kind of gave me a good a good grounding and and um, allowed me to kind of uh, develop a little bit maybe more quicker I would say than than going elsewhere. So now it was brilliant and the coaches at the time were were fantastic. We had a guy Dave McMillan who he was a, a school teacher so he kind of he laid the law down very very quickly very early and you know it was it was discipline but it was also you know there was a lot of elements of, of sort of playing football properly and. It was very enjoyable, um, so it certainly take, took uh, quite a lot away from that experience. You mentioned that your know, Hearts and Hibs were were around back then. Is it right that you scored 53 goals for Hutchie Vale one season, and that was when when everybody kind of started looking at this young up and coming striker? I think what you've got to remember is we played in full size goals, and the, the goalies were smaller <laughs> than me. <so. laughs> back then it was a wee bit different to what it is now, but. No, it was probably around that time. Um, it was under a guy, Pam Carter, who who had a great sort of set up at Hutchie Vale, and um, like you say, uh, there was a few goals went in. So there was a few clubs round about kind of took a little bit of notice, and and luckily for myself, there was there was a wee opportunity to to make my own mind up. So um, that was uh, certainly I don't think I've scored as many since then, but it was it was good memories. I think Jared's been modest there because uh, I certainly watched him play when he was younger. And I was up at uh, St. Johnson. My, my youngest lad was in training there up at St. Johnson. And uh, I, I was talking to a guy at the side of the park, a guy called Alistair Stevenson, who was a coach, was the head of head of youth at Hibs at the time, and uh, spoke very highly of you. So there you go. That's a, that's a compliment. So I, I don't think it was, it was just luck, Jared. You certainly thought highly of in the game. Uh, it was a lot of hard work. It was a lot of hard work went into it. And, 
you're on about my dad earlier. It was I was lucky that I had you know a parent that that could kind of ferry me about all over the country. So you know you've always got to look at these things as well. There's a lot of talented kids out there that they all want the same dream, they all want the same sort of goal, and you know you've sometimes got to be lucky as well that you you can actually get to these places, especially coming from the borders. It was always a anything was a camel trek. So. Um, no, I was certainly lucky enough that, that I had someone there that, that could kind of take me and push me on to, to be able to do that. At the time when you were at Hibs, Jerry, did you see all those boys, the Browns and the Whitakers and of the world and the Fletchers, did you see from a young age that they would all go on and, and do something in the game? I think so. I think it's always hard to say, but you know the, the sort of level of quality they were playing at week in week out, you could always tell that you know there was a special group there. Um, I remember we used to sit up at the the back Easter Road uh, in the main stand, and the likes of Thompson and Brown would dictate games, and and you know it was times that Barry Ferguson and stuff at Rangers that were still playing, and you know they would dominate games, and you could just see at that young age that you know they definitely had the tools to kind of go on and and forge out the careers that they did. You know Fletcher Fletcher was one that that kind of came through that he's seen from a, a very young age that he was just levels and levels above. Um, he was a special talent and, you know, he's still at the, you know, a very, very top level at the moment, still scoring goals. So, um, no, you could certainly see that the, the majority of them could definitely go on to, to kind of do what they've went and done. Because Scott Brown now, he's, he's captain his country. He's captain Celtic for so long. Back then, though, I guess, was that when he had the red the red through his hair and I mean was he what was he like back in those days was he kind of an attacking midfielder more so back then wasn't he started off as a striker believe it or not off as a striker and then I think his energy was just that he kind of moved back he found himself in, in the middle of the park and I think again him and Thompson kind of complimented each other that you know Scott had done all the running and, and Kevin kind of broke up the play so they were they were a great match for each other but it was it was brilliant to be around in a changing room. He was just I don't think it, speaking to some of the boys now he's never changed. You know he was always the life and soul, and he always looked out for the younger boys as well that were coming through. He obviously knew what it was you know like to to kind of be in that system, and you know he was always kind of there or thereabouts and and offered advice as well. He was obviously documented to be a wee bit mad, and you know I think that's that certainly helped him in his career in terms of you know the energy I said that he, you know he, he does possess. It's it's kind of he's just non-stop, but obviously a fantastic player. Were you ever the victim of one of his uh, practical jokes? Many times, I missed us a lot back then. And there was a, a period at the club that your your clothes went on a, a sort of mannequin if uh, you had a few questionable items, and um, we used to we used to get changed at Easter Road, so. Um, you could be finding yourself in the famous five stand trying to trying to look out your your designer jeans that <laughs> you currently found out the M and M catalogue. So uh, a few few instances of that, but again, it was brilliant because uh, you know I think that you know thinking back to that point, it was you were very young. They were a young team, and um, we were all very sort of similar ages. So you know they certainly helped kind of break the barriers down from the sort of first team dressing room to the the sort of reserves and the and the youth team. So. It was, you know, as I said before, I was very lucky to come through at that time. Did things kind of change when John Collins took over and was that the sort of beginning of the end for you? It's Paul been telling you stories. <laughs> <laughs> Just done my research, Jerry. Not at all. Um, for me, it was kind of, it was bittersweet because obviously I seen a guy coming in from, again, my sort of area of um, the country. He was obviously from the borders and I'm kind of thinking, you know, I've got a wee chance here. He might put the arm around me sort of thing. I think when, when Tony Mowbray and, and Venus and, and obviously John Park, who was sort of around about the youth at the time, when they left, there was no one really to, to fight the corner for you sort of thing. So kind of came in and uh, within a few months, I think, we kind of basically took the took the sort of vibes from him that it wasn't going to be, it was certainly wasn't going to be at Hibs any longer. So after being there for 10 years, it was it was quite a shock to, to kind of come out your your wee bubble and, and uh, your comfort zone. So, yeah, I think to say we didn't get on was, was probably an understatement. So basically you knew the writing was on the wall and you ended up, well, you somehow ended up in Los Angeles. Is that right? Uh, it was a bizarre one. I'm not sure if Paul made the trap. I can't. I never made the trip. I'll tell the story once. <laughs> do, you find, do you want me to tell the story how I know Jared Rossi? So I, I, I know Jared Rossi because I was involved in the football agency world, as some people might know. And part of the football agency was we had a, a record label, and the record label was called Influx Music. And it was run by a guy called Mick Rossi out in LA. Great man, absolute brilliant man, Mick. And 
he knew everybody. He knew all the stars. He was friendly with the Euradmics and everybody. If you, if you need to know anybody in LA, Mick Rossi knew them. And I got a phone call in the office one day saying, I've got this lad for you. And, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, it must be some American player, some guy that he's got to bring over here. And he says, it's my nephew. He says, it's Jared Rossi. He stays in Peebles. So I went all the way to LA to get Jared. And uh, that's when we got in touch. And that's when I first seen you playing with Hibs. And honestly, what a talented player. Uh, and I'm surprised because the, the way you played, I thought everything about you would have been would have been a, a, a John Collins type of player. But things didn't quite work out. And then we got, we got the the dream move to the get you out to the Galaxy, didn't we? LA Galaxy. And it was uh, Alexia Lalas, wasn't it? He was the right, yeah. the, the ex-American player. And, and Jared went out there. But... Uh, you went there sort of pre-David Beckham, and I think one of the one of the things was they could only sign so many, so many foreign players. And the whole story between me and Jerry actually goes full circle because at the time as well we had a guy working for us called Marion Cherney, and Marion, a great lad from Slovakia, I think he came over as goalkeeper with with Clyde, uh, and he was introduced to us by a guy called Bill Carragher, whose office was in the same kind of block as where, where I was was in Bath Street in Glasgow, and. Uh, Marion then ends up going back to Slovakia having worked with us, takes Jared to Slovakia with him, and I'm doing my thing over here. Got offered a chance to go to New Mains. Who's the chairman of New Mains? Bill Carragher. And I'm still in touch with, with Marion in Slovakia and all that. So it's a, amazing how things go full circle. Small but actually, world. Small world, but I know Jared Rossi through a record producer in LA. There you go. <laughs> so you can tell the story there about LA Galaxy because it was good times. So I was, as you said, it kind of came out of the blue for me, but we went over kind of, I not, not knowing what to expect. Um, went over and I think played two games and uh, managed to score two goals. So at that point, I was kind of looking, thinking we might manage to sneak something here. Um, again, it was more for the experience, but you know, when you're there, you, you obviously give it everything you've got. And um, we were kind of high-fiving each other after the games, thinking we've, we've maybe snuck something here. We've maybe pulled the pulled the eye right out of the hat. But like Paul said, it was just, I think it was the season Beckham was going over and they were signing boys like Xavi, Abel Xavi and Landon Donovan was in the team. And I think the legend Kobe Jones over there, um, he was still kicking a ball. So it was really difficult to, to kind of, Aye, to, to be one of those foreign players at the time. So I think uh, they were only allowed a certain number, wouldn't they, Jerry? Of the, yeah, the, the kind of draft system, didn't they? And then yeah, four players, and it was the writing was kind of on the wall. But you, you maybe get caught up in it a little bit. And they wanted to send me out to a feeder team, and it was just it wasn't what we were looking for. So kind of sadly, sadly didn't didn't uh, come to pass. But um, it certainly was a, a good few weeks in LA and uh, sitting on Malibu Beach dreaming of what what might have been. And am I right in saying, Jerry, we went to Airdrie after that, wasn't it? Went to meet Mr. Black, I can So this, this, is a great, this is a great story as well, bringing it back down the divisions. And I'll never forget this because when you're kind of in the agency world, you have a lot of players that get released at the end of their contract. It's very, very difficult. It's very difficult to put a, a boy. If somebody's not had a contract at the age of 19, it's very, very difficult to get them into a club because you've got teams like Rangers and Celtic 19s winning cups and leagues and getting released. And then they all filter down. So every year, my first port of call when I had a young guy was down the divisions and it was to Kenny Black and a huge credit to Kenny Black because I remember, I think I, think I took yourself there, young Willie Souter at Motherwell and Bobby Donnelly. Bobby had actually played in the Motherwell first team. And I remember saying to Kenny Black, fancy having a look at these three lads and Kenny says, Paul, bring them in. Just tell them to bring their own strap, their own training strap and their own towel. I always remember him saying that to me. And every year that guy at Airdrie never knew his team because he'd have a team for a year and other people and I think to myself looking at the level that we're at now and managing that this guy was doing that at a much higher level with the spotlight on him tough times oh, it certainly lets you I think again coming out of that full time bubble and you know I can't, I can't remember where we trained but it was, it was certainly an eye opener sort of training outside in a, a sort of public park with, with dog mess and everything all about the place so it certainly opened my eyes up to kind of what, what was kind of uh, out there for me and it was again another reason why I, I did kind of take the decision to, to go abroad and, and give my, myself a wee chance at um, staying in the game sort of um, more on a full time basis. Was there ever a part of you when you were on that park with the dog muck, you'd kind of think back to looking up at that Hollywood sign 
walking along Malibu Beach and thinking how different this might have been. Gareth, I still do every day. Every day. <laughs> uh, I think you've got to move on very quickly. I think football again. You guys will probably know being in and around it. You know, it's it's brilliant. It's a great hobby. We all love the game. We're all missing it right now. But when you're involved in it, it's cutthroat. It's a business. It's you know, like Paul says, um, you know, Kenny Kenny Black had so many kids coming in and out and bring their own towels and you know that goes on all up and down the country so you know it is tough and I think if you stay in that sort of mindset that it's just not going to happen or you know these kind of things it's 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 pointless you, you have to move on quickly or you do you know I think you do get bogged down and sort of I'm not going to make it and and maybe get lost to the game. Tell us more about LA though I mean how long were you out there and did you have a chance to to immerse yourself in that lifestyle a little bit and just experience a little bit of the the kind of the Hollywood lifestyle? Well, Paul will probably tell you better than I can about the boy we went, well, the, the guy I went over with. It was um, <laughs> Scott, McMaster, John, was John. Scott Hume. And John McMaster obviously won the European Cup with Aberdeen. And he's, uh, I think he's, he's sort of from the sort of Greenock area, if I'm, yes. if I'm yes, right. Okay. And uh, he doesn't change, you know, he doesn't change for, for me or for, you know, for anybody. And, uh, you know, having him on that trip was, it was different class and learning a lot about him and, um, you know, he's a, a humble guy and, you know, it was a great experience. But Scott, on the other hand, is, uh, he, he's he's a different ball. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was another one that gave me a great education in life at the top end of the scale. So Two great guys. Uh, fantastic Brilliant. guy. But I remember Scott wouldn't let me take anything to do with sugar. And I was playing this game, it was one of the trial matches and I was, I was struggling. Like I was, my uncle obviously was there and, and John was there and, John's saying, we man needs something, he needs he needs a bit of sugar, he needs, you know, he needs something, he needs a Red Bull or something, give him something. And uh, Scott, no, 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 he's on this diet, he's, he's got he's got it prepared properly. So I remember we went to a, a sort of bakery, it was like, I can't remember what it was, but John McMasters came in with a donut and slipped it underneath the, the cubicle and he says, eat that wee man, get get rid of it. <laughs> I to get this this donut and I've came out shaking for about half an hour because I had a sugar rush and Scott went you fed him that donut I seen you fed him that donut honestly couldn't stop shaking for about half an hour but um, that was the two of them they just played off each other so well and uh, as I said it was a it was a great experience and obviously you know Malibu and stuff it's it's just a different world and at that age to see all these kind of things and obviously the training centre up there and it's just a different different level different world. Did you do any celebrity spotting or see any any celebs, film stars? No, sadly Uncle not. Uncle Mac? <laughs> no, sadly not. I was I certainly was looking for them, but I was I was obviously looking in the wrong areas. But um, no, as, as I say, Ellie's just if if you've got it on the bucket list, you need to do it. It's um, it's a it's a different planet. You've touched on it once or twice. Do you think? Do you think size has held you back over the years? I mean, it's it's been there was a period, maybe the period you were coming through when. I'm not saying size was everything, but it was it was a big thing, wasn't it? And 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 perhaps would you have done better if you were now in this generation coming through? It's tough to say. I certainly think if I was six foot five, then I would just kick the ball out of the park every every two seconds and, and probably have a deal somewhere. But you know, I think as as I say, growing up, it was it was always difficult because you know you look back at some of those players I'd mentioned and some of the boys that were in my side uh, growing up. You know, they, they were all fantastic players. You know, I look at it now and these kids are kind of playing against each other until they're maybe nineteen, twenty. You know, we were playing against guys like you know Alan Huttons and you know guys like that who were, were finding ourselves in reserve football and you were playing against top quality players every week. So. I don't think I, you know, you can never change anything. Hindsight's obviously a lovely thing, but you know, I always, always had that. He's a wee bit small, he's a wee bit light, and and that kind of pushed me on a wee bit um, as well. It, it kind of gave me that sort of fire in my in my belly that, that says, you know what, I'm going to prove you wrong, sort of thing. So, you know, it's, it's obviously difficult. Sometimes your luck. I think if you're if you're in the right place at the right time, um, as well, it's it's a lot to do with that in football. As I say, there's a lot of kids that have ability. Um, that just don't quite make it and it's it's literally the luck at the end of the day so you come back from LA as Paul has touched on you go to Airdrie and then you somehow end up at Spartak Tanava. how did that happen again it was it was through contacts it's who you know uh, it's a lot a lot about that in the game it's who you know Paul touched on it it was a a guy, Marion Cherney I, again I didn't know anything about this at the time uh, literally got home answer it 
pack your bags if you do. And as I said, it was it was a chance for me to kind of stay in the game, sort of more full time. Um, that was my approach. I was young, didn't have many ties, so you know I thought I'm I'm going to grab this while it's while it's available. So uh, we went across to, to Slovakia again, probably not a place that I'd probably ever heard of, with the greatest respects, but. Uh, I was so glad I'd done it. It was uh, certainly another great education, not only in football, but in life as well. And the great thing about that is Marion, Marion Cherny, who is out there now, I think he's now Chief Executive of Sport and Travana. He's doing well. He's working with Slovakia and FA. Uh, I was out there a couple of years ago visiting him and his family. and It's actually a stunning place, a beautiful place. And what was it like living there? Obviously, it'd be a huge culture shock in, in terms of language and stuff like that. How did you manage I didn't at the, at the beginning. It was tough at the beginning. It was obviously, again, it was it was an eye-opener for me because, like you say, the language is, is the biggest uh, stumbling block. Um, so daily tasks like trying to get your shopping and, you know, asking for directions, you, you know, you could end up anywhere and you could, you know, shop for, for absolute nonsense. So uh, it was quite tough when it, when it came down to the basics, but... I was very lucky that the team that I eventually signed for, the boys in that in that team kind of spoke good English. So they gave me a lot of help at, at the beginning and um, kind of took me under their wings and it made it settling in a lot easier um, because it was it was tough. You know, Weren't we no, out there, Jerry? It was almost five years. It was round about... Was it long up. as that? Yeah. So it was a wee, it was a wee uh, sort of period of time that... It kind of flew by, to be honest. It was, you know, it was good times and, and obviously indifferent at times as well. You're in sort of Eastern Europe, so uh, there's a lot that can happen, you know, away from home and you've not got your parents, you've not got your friends or family. So um, it's not all, you know, sort of bright lights and, and uh, sort of great times. What was it like travelling around? I, I went to Slovakia. I went to Mayava in 2016 when I was covering the Scotland under-21s. And I just remember getting off the train well, I remember getting on the train and it was like a step back in time, first of all, with the, with the individual carriages, the slide doors. You'd go through tunnels and there'd be no lights in the train. So it was the darkest dark. And then the train would stop and you get off the train and there'd be no platform. You just get off onto the grass. Well, Bratislava obviously was brilliant. And I think we passed I think we passed through Tanava to get to Mayava. But Mayava was so industrial and so bleak. What were your experiences of traveling around away from the places that I guess particularly Bratislava, that listeners might know better? Very much like you say. You know, it was kind of like in the bigger sort of cities, fine. You know, it had everything like, you know, an Edinburgh or Glasgow would have. But as you kind of hit that rural sort of area, yeah, it was it was certainly certainly different. You know, for, for footballers, you, you kind of get in the in the bus or the train or, you know, whatever you're travelling on and you go to the, the ground. So we didn't see a lot around it. You know, so it was kind of like you're kind of taking your your sort of ideas from what the ground looks like and you know some of the grounds are quite interesting and quite old school maybe more junior like but what they were filled with they were filled with some fanatical fans you you would not believe it um some some of the sort of crowds that, that came down and um it was certainly it was certainly interesting it certainly got very interesting at times away from home my memory of uh, Slovakia is going to a pub five pints a Jäger bomb and a pizza 12 euro <laughs> bargain I'd stay there but when you were out there what was your digs like did they put you in a, in a flat with the other players or were you, were you staying on your own so literally on my own straight away which again was quite tough because I'm, I'm kind of you know in a new country and it's uh, yeah it was quite quite sort of sink or swim obviously footballers they it's kind of like at this moment in time, you don't have a lot to do. So you're kind of sitting about in your pants playing PlayStation all day. So, um, you know, when you're, you're sort of back up the road, you've, you've not really got much in the way of contact. You know, as I said, Skype and things like that weren't really a thing back then. So you're basically sitting in your in your sort of digs by yourself. And, you know, I found that quite tough at the beginning. You know, obviously, if you play well, you, you go home and you maybe give dad or, or whoever a phone call up the road and say, ah, I've done really well. But... You know, it's those times that you, you maybe struggled that there's no one around. So it's kind of, you know, it's quite difficult to pick yourself up at times. But I suppose that's where mental strength comes in. But certainly for me at the beginning, it was kind of thrown into the deep end. And yeah, it was kind of just, just get on with it. You're doing well staying out there all that time. It's a long time to be somewhere when, you know, you've got your, your home comforts round about you. I think, again, I was lucky. Obviously, Marion was over there. And, you know, as I said, some of my teammates were 
were brilliant with me. So I, I kind of felt as if I had people to lean on when I needed to lean on people. You know, some of the, their mums and dads would invite me around for dinners and stuff. So it was, you know, daft wee things like that that kind of gave me that, that little bit more motivation to stay there in the beginning. Um, and as I say, the club went out their way to, to make me feel feel kind of wanted. I do remember playing sort of the first couple of games out there and the first game was kind of, it wasn't great, nothing really uh, stand out about it. But the second game, we kind of travelled away and all these mental fans followed us. And I remember hitting the bar from about, every time I tell the story, I get further out, but I hit the bar from about 30 yards out. And I thought, this is just, it's just not going to happen for me. And then two minutes later, I've literally done the same thing and it's hit the bar and went in. And it was kind of my first ever time scoring in front of a massive sort of away crowd. And after that kind of feeling, I just wanted more of it, you know, and that that's another sort of point and situation that you don't really get at youth football. You don't really get at reserve team football. Um, so to kind of score that that first goal in front of, you know, certainly what, what I remember was quite a big crowd. It, was, uh, it certainly gave me the motivation to kind of give it another go. When you say it was a big crowd, how, how big are we talking? And, and... And you talk, you know, we we talk about the passion of fans here. What was it like over there? Again, it's kind of similar um, down the leagues. I think Spartak Tarnava kind of got twenty thousand, you know, twenty five thousand. It was a big crowd. The team that I was at was kind of sort of similar to to sort of first division football in Scotland. It was could amass from sort of six thousand, seven thousand, sort of round about that kind of that kind of figure downwards. We kind of played on the border of of Hungary, so these kind of these fans were just mad they just live for football and um, there was maybe three four thousand of them at home games and the place was honestly it was it was crazy at times there was just one big stand and again it was very humble sort of surroundings but they sort of passionately followed their team home and away and normally that three four five thousand people would try and get away from home as well so you're always kind of surrounded by by a decent wee crowd um, and certainly, if you if you manage to get the ball in the back of the net, then then you would you kind of feel their, their passion as well. You you mentioned going round for dinner and going round to some players' families for their dinner. How did you find the food, and how how did you cope with the language? Did you did you nail it by the end? We'll start with the food because that's probably the easiest one. I'm kind of not a fussy person, so I was kind of in and out McDonald's quite a lot, which. I think at the end of my stay became a bit of a problem, but no, the, the food was brilliant. It was very similar. Um, they, they had similar sort of food to, to over here. And, um, you know, I, as I said, I'm not a fussy guy, so I was quite happy to, to have my dinners made for me and stuff from, from some of the teammates, uh, parents that sent up the road and whatnot. So the food was fine. Uh, the language was, was incredibly difficult. You know, there's nothing that sounds similar. There's there's sort of two different ways to say things, and it was just very very difficult in the beginning. By the end, I could get around it. You know, I was I was kind of lucky again in in the respect that a lot of the players could speak English. A lot of the younger generation managed to kind of hold conversations. So I was kind of lucky in that respect. But certainly in the beginning, sort of first second year. Um, I was just managing to say potato chips and and just the kind of, <laughs> the kind of would keep me eating. So um, the language was tough, but again, lovely people and as a country and, and as Paul had uh, briefly mentioned, when you when you're out in the sort of nightlife and stuff, it's it is really you know it's really good. It's really great to to kind of see their, their culture. What were the swimming pools like? Uh, it was it was again another eye opener. I remember the first time we went into what they call as a wellness center, and it was a, a physio kind of. He had sort of some sort of tie within the within the um, center, and I remember going in and the sort of trunks ready to go, armbands on, and the wee finger started wagging and says no, and I kind of questioned it, and it was uh, basically you had to go in as you were, so. The, the birthday suit had to go on and, and that was it and looking about and that was it I think as a young boy from Peebles that's it's really been out the 30s it was uh, it was certainly yeah it was another experience to, to certainly behold did you do it? of course I did I, I had to I had to I thought when in Rome is that not the, the old cliche um, no again it, it's crazy because at the very beginning I'm thinking no chance, and then by the time I left, I was I was one of the, the sort of regulars, so it was kind of like <laughs> <laughs> that was a done thing. So just coming on to more recent stuff, 2013, you established CG Elite. Can you yeah, tell us a bit about that? Yeah, tell us more about that. 
So it was basically myself and my friend. Um, he also was actually the, the manager at the Vale of Leithan. Um We kind of similar paths. He went down south, played in the conference for a while. Kind of had the same story. Came back up the road, and we were kind of both sitting around um, doing bits and bobs for the SFA. And we kind of came to the decision that we'd maybe go and try something by ourselves. So we both started this this uh, small company up in sort of just people's Peebleshire area, and um, it kind of started to grow arms and legs. And for the last six years, it's it's done really well, and we've had so much support from the from the community and. So many kids have kind of came through our books, so um, we kind of started out again, very small scale, and now we've managed to get into the schools and, and obviously high schools and stuff round about the area as well. So been been quite lucky that that we live in this kind of small knit community that you know we we obviously have the football and background, so it kind of maybe went for us in, in that respect. So that's kind of what what um, I'm up to these days, and I think it gives me a chance to kind of fall back in love with the game again, seeing the kids sort of enjoying it and, and not really knowing about that business side of things and, and just doing it for the pure love of, of kind of what they're doing. What ages are we talking? Wide scale from sort of three-year-olds, believe it or not, all the way up to sort of high school. We do different sort of um, sessions. We, we put on the sort of the little dribblers, we call it. It's just for the, the sort of hand-eye coordination at the very the very outset of things and then we kind of go right through the, the sort of grapevine with it and at the very sort of higher end of the scale with the, the ages we, we we take one-to-ones and sort of small group sessions as well so yeah it's got quite a quite an array of talent and different skills and different sort of levels. I've obviously and, spoke to you about that before Jared and we were going to obviously do some stuff up at New Mains but once all this is out of the way now I think we'll definitely get you guys in and certainly help us run some some summer camps up there as well. No, definitely. As I say, always love kind of getting involved with different projects and kind of opening our horizons in that respect as well. So, no, I'd be more than more than happy to come along and try and help out as as best we can. Tell us about this. Is it a bucket challenge or wheelie bin challenge that you've been doing on social media? So it's a bit of any, anything that you've got. So we've we've had loads of different entries. Um, it was kind of again just through parents getting in touch saying can we maybe try and do something online and. Um, as you've seen with with my Skype uh, skills, I'm not the I'm not the most clever when it comes to to sort of technology. Um, so I kind of came up with a wee idea that we would we try and keep the kids kind of busy for the next little little part of uh, whatever we've got in this in this sort of lockdown. So the idea was just to to get out in the garden and and try and get the ball in the in the, the old wheelie bin. But then it kind of grew arms and legs again to a, a toilet roll in a basket and all these different things. We've had a, a boy in America on his roof. I would not recommend it. <laughs> um, the ball in from his roof. So it's kind of went to different places and, and different areas. We had a Slovak boy doing it and uh, he's managed to do a few keepy-uppies and, and rattle it in the back of the, the sort of washing basket as well. So there's been a, there's been a few good good efforts as well. We need to actually, can we link this to, to anything we put out? Because you, you actually need to see this to believe it. We can put it in the show notes, Paul. So if anybody wants to to find out more, we'll, we'll stick a link to one of these uh, these videos. There's certainly one that comes with a with a sort of viewers at the viewers' discretion. Um, one of the one of the players at the Vale says, uh, "How can I get involved? I'm trying to raise a wee bit of money here and for the charities and stuff." And he says, "How can I get involved?" So I, I had no idea what was coming, but he sent through the video and he's literally in his speedos. And the best part of it is his mum and dad are involved. His dad serves on the ball. They have an argument because his dad gives him a rubbish pass to, to put the ball in the in the bin. It's just it's comic comical genius, it's comedy genius. But daft wee things like that have helped it, you know, it's helped it kind of keep going. And um, we're just loving all the sort of entries that are coming in from again a wide range of kiddies at three, four year old to you know sort of adults and even the grannies and grandas getting involved as well. Did I hear you right there? Is there a charity aspect to it? There is a wee charity aspect. Uh, obviously, Paul had kind of touched on very, very, very early on that Dad had kind of been um, aye, in the in the wars a little bit. Um, so I kind of spoke to my dad and says, "Listen, this is kind of done really well. Do you think we could maybe attach something to, to try and raise a wee bit of money?" And obviously, with with what I'm kind of doing and, and my dad's involvement in football and stuff at grassroots level as well, um, we kind of attached the the sick kids. To, to what we were doing so within three or four days we'd managed to smash our target so it's kind of now just 
whatever, you know, whatever we can manage to, to bring in um, until the, the sort of lockdown period's over. So we're going to try and keep it going until till that um, that sort of that time frame. Is there a web page, Just Giving page, or somewhere that that people can go if they want to donate? Yeah. We've got a wee uh, Just Giving page up, um, so it's kind of linked within everything that we do and, and we pop up now and again. I know, obviously, it's a difficult time for a lot of people um, when it comes to, to sort of earnings and, and money. So, you know, anything that anyone can donate, we've, we've been so grateful. Again, it's probably the first time that I've ever kind of tried to raise money. I've always been the, the one that donates, but never really been the one that, that tries to push something out. And I think obviously, like I said, with my dad, it, it kind of hits home a little bit more when, when you're in that situation yourself. So we just try to do a little thing to, to try and, you know, raise a little bit of money and, and we've done that. So um, if people want to get on board with it, then then brilliant. We're just so, so happy to see um, the kiddies out in the back garden, as I said, and having a, a little smile on their face in such a, a difficult time. I don't know if we can link that. If we can link that link yeah, as well, we'll do that and we'll pop a couple of pounds in that for you as well. So just to finish off the show, we'll give you the answer to this week's Down the Divisions Decider. Paul, give us those clues again. Right. We need to think about this now. Jerry's been obviously Googling this, hasn't he? Right. Harry Potter, Chamber of Secrets, coming into the cinema. Lynlithgow won the Scottish Junior Cup. Pink had a hit with Don't Let Me Get Me. And the Winter Olympics were held in Salt Lake City. I'm shocked you've not got that, Gareth. When we did you say, Gareth, what was your... 2006. You yeah. said you said whoa when he said. I'm sure you said oh, as in that was close when he said 2006. So I'm going to change my answer. Can you change your answer? You I know, course you can know. change it. You're a guest. Do what you want. <laughs> I'm going to go down to 2009, literally just because you said oh when he said 2006. Oh, oh. I, I said oh because he's a bloody mile off. 2002. Ah, there you go. Ah, yeah. Ah, no, I'm only one, isn't it? I'm only one Winter Olympics out, Paul. That was four years later. Did the Winter Olympics no change? Did they no change their date at one time? I'm sure they did. Did they? Yeah. Google that. I was close. You were very close. (laughs) Well, thanks for joining us, Gerard. Uh, We wish you best for for when the season eventually gets going next season. And uh, yeah, thanks for thanks for coming on. Thank you very much, boys. I appreciate you asking me on. Great seeing you, Jerry. Tell Papa we were asking for him and uh, I'll maybe get you a move yet and make a couple of quid out of you. Still a couple of years. <laughs> Don't forget, we'd uh, we'd love you to get in touch with your thoughts on the show and if there's someone from the lower leagues who you feel should be highlighted, you can email us at themthedivisions at gmail.com or contact us through Twitter or Facebook. Do subscribe and leave us a review as well. We'll speak to you next week on Down the Divisions. Mm-hmm.